0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Culture Jack Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the major motion picture, Dune, by Denis Villeneuve, uh, the director. Um, It it ran about two and a half hours, uh, two and a half hour runtime on that. This is the OTE. I'm your host, Dustin. Nice to meet you. Meet you again. Welcome back. It's good to see you, I guess. So what is... The OTE, before we get into Dune, before we get into that whole movie, and it is a monster of a movie, uh, the OTE, or on today's episode, is a show on the Culture Jack podcast where either Anthony or myself, uh, we do like a quick review and, and recap of a television series that we're watching or a movie that we've just watched, or maybe it's an episode that we're working our way along with one of these MCU Disney Plus shows or something along those lines. Uh, I actually tried to record this very episode yesterday, which doesn't mean anything to you because at this point, my voice is a digital representation of myself and it doesn't represent me really at all anymore. And so that could have been yesterday from five years ago or well, probably not because Dune hasn't been out that long unless I release this in five years. So what do we do on this show? We talk about the show. It's like a review and recap of uh, where we do a little bit of theorizing. We talk about what the implications are for the movie. You know, if it was a good movie, what we liked, what we what we didn't like. And this movie, oh my gosh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. And this isn't the only show that we have on Culture Jack Podcast. I know if you've if you've sat through, if you've listened to many of our other shows before, just bear with me for a moment while I advertise our other things. We've got on today's episode, Regularly, we have The Weekend Wire on Sunday where we talk about movie news. We have Monday Madness where Anthony rambles on incoherently about cryptocurrency and art and whatever whatever he's interested in at the moment. And then on Thursday, we have The Culture Jack News Desk where I talk about video game news and that industry. And then on Friday, we have The Friday Show where, again, I talk about usually something that has piqued my interest where I can ramble incoherently just like anthony does on monday but this is on today's episode and we're going to get into dune but before we do spoilers uh i am going to be talking about a lot of the major aspects of dune so if you haven't yet read the book or you didn't see the 80s uh film or i guess the 70s film maybe there was one even before that uh and you don't know anything about dune you don't want to be spoiled Get the hell out of here. Save this podcast for later. Come back to it and listen to it at another time when you're when you've seen the movie. And I will say for this movie, if you have not seen it yet, go see it in the movie theater. If you can get like a great big IMAX experience, get a a big tub of popcorn. I almost forgot in what unit of measurement they they do popcorn. It's not a bucket of popcorn. It's not a bag of popcorn. Well, I guess they do do bags of popcorn, which will uh, allude you to the level of gluttony that I have, that I have to get. I only measure popcorn in uh, buckets and tubs. That's how I measure that tasty movie treat. So go to a movie theater to see this one, though, because it is amazing. I wish I would have seen it in the movie theater, but I watched it on HBO Max. So it is out now, so if... HBO Max is your only option. I mean, watch it, though. It is very good. I would go so far as to say it is a... It's a masterpiece. I mean, it really is. And that's, like a lot of people have been saying recently, that is highly uh, dependent upon the release of Part 2 for Dune. This is the first part of a two-part epic. And so and sarnoff the warner brothers ceo has already said are we going to make a, a part 2 well you saw how part 1 ended of course we're going to make a part 2 that remains to be seen i think at least uh until we see some some big box office numbers put behind it uh which we're already seeing some pretty decently sized box office numbers at least when it comes to one of these hybrid streaming theatrical release movies um, Maybe higher than we've seen from the pandemic so far from any of the movies that have come out in this fashion. Okay, on to the movie. Now, I took down a bunch of notes during this movie. Like I said, it is two and a half hours long. And I tried to record this podcast yesterday, like I said, and I was going through my notes. And as I was doing it, I don't know what the hell I was thinking when I was making these notes. But they're all out of order. They don't make sense. Uh, Some of them I can't read. So this is going to be different than one of my usual recaps. Usually, like if you followed the WandaVision or the Loki on today's episode, you'll know that I really went beat for beat as best I could to lay out the action, which sometimes makes me think, who is this particular show for? It's not for people that haven't seen it already because it's filled with spoilers. It's not for people that have seen it already because they already know, you know, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to talk about because they've seen it. And so the recap portion of it, like, who is this for? And then I got to thinking, I myself don't have a particularly great memory. But one of the things I love to do is I love to reminisce. I love to to talk about movies after we get out of a movie. I love to uh, talk about fun memories that I have the very few that I, that I do have. And so I think this is kind of my way to celebrate an art form. And if you are that kind of person where you too like to celebrate an art form, I'd say you are my target audience for this particular show on the podcast. So like I said, I did have a bunch of notes. I tried doing it once. I recorded 20, 25 minutes of it, and it was incoherent nonsense. I mean, not to say that this show is going to be any better, that this show is going to be any more coherent or cohesive, but uh, maybe it will be a little more engaging for me because it will, the first time I did it, it wasn't engaging. Man, this is the longest intro, intro to um, one of these shows that I've ever had. Okay. Onto the show. So basically the the premise, the plot of the show, it's not a show, it's a movie. The plot is we've got, I got to go off on another tangent. I'm so sorry. So (laughs) this movie, this story, Frank Herbert's Dune, uh, obviously a book series uh, broken up into two parts and it is a massive sci-fi epic Uh, I can't remember how many books there are, really. I think there's there's at least 22 books and short stories that encompass kind of the lore of Dune. And they take place over several thousand years. And I don't know, because I have not read all of these books. In fact, I only have... I only have the audiobook <laughs> of the original dune which is great i might add i bought it on the apple store and it's got wonderful voice acting and i haven't even finished that but i started so i knew kind of what i was getting into with this movie um but i didn't finish it so there were still a lot of surprises to be had so basically essentially what's going on in the story oh my goodness there is a an an empire this and and this story that's where i was going with that uh this sci-fi story served as an inspiration to other sci-fi epics that have that we've seen on uh on the silver and gold screen to include star wars And so a lot of the things I was listening to someone else talk about this. A lot of the things that you see in Dune, you might be tempted to go, oh, they ripped that off from Star Wars or, oh, they ripped that off from this series, whatever it was. And really, Dune and Frank Herbert were the pioneers of these kinds of sci fi ideas and tropes. Like you'll see the uh, Lord Harkonnen as, uh, who, who plays Lord Harkonnen? Stellan Skarsgård. You'll see him as this monstrous being that controls essentially a trade colony. And so when you see other representations of that in fiction, like Jabba the Hutt in Star Wars, you go, wow, they, they took this character. They pulled this character's kind of personality straight from this guy. Uh, so it, pretty cool to see. All right. That was my last aside onto the story, kind of the story of it. So there's an empire, all of these different great houses and families under an emperor. And under this emperor is a planet, a planet called Arrakis on this planet, Arrakis, which is a desert planet where most of this movie takes place, where most of the the story takes place. There is a resource called spice and to the people of the planet spice represents it's like a hallucinogen. it's like a, a a drug that they take into their bodies and it turns their eyes blue and it gives them special abilities to to kind of be one with the desert maybe also some psychokinetic abilities or, or something along the lines. but anyway, that's one aspect of spice one use uh, for spice. the other use for spice, or melange, I believe as it's called in the books, is interstellar travel. Space travel is made possible by the use of spice. So there I nailed it. I don't know how, maybe they use it in their engines, maybe they refine it into an ore or other, other type of fuel, but they cannot make interstellar travel without the spice. So this planet in the Empire is very, very important to the Emperor. And he's got these people watching it called the Harkonnen's, and they're kind of a ruthless uh, family, a, a ruthless gang led by this Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. And they get kicked out at the beginning of the at the beginning of the movie. The Empire says, "You guys are out. We're gonna have this other great family, the House Atreides." come in and take over the mining operations on Arrakis. And so Harkonnen leaves. They're kind of terrible people anyway. Uh, Atreides is hired by the Empire. And the uh, Atreides are are what you would imagine a more noble house would look like. They're not these nasty creatures like the Harkonnen are. There's even one point in the movie where the Harkonnens are getting ready to go back to Arrakis. Because again, spoiler alert, they, they never intended to leave. They never intended to leave this cash cow of Arrakis behind. Uh, they were going to go back, take out the Atreides and resume their mining operations. So, okay. They leave the planet. Um, the Atreides come in to mine the spice now on the planet. Like I said, the people of that planet are called the Fremen and they live in the desert. They know how to walk in the desert. You have to use a non-rhythmic walk because anytime you use consistent rhythm in your walk or in your machinery, then the desert feels it and the vibrations roil through the sand. And the gigantic sandworms, the giant seemingly carnivorous sandworms of the desert, come to devour whatever is creating creating that rhythm and I'm not I'm not clear on whether they eat spice or if they eat you know little beings oh the thing about the the creatures of the desert there was only one that I saw really showcased and it was a little mouse kangaroo looking creature And it was a morning scene and the sun came out over the desert and little mouse hopped up on the top of the dune and he has these big ears and these ears look like they grabbed the condensation out of the air. And as the water slowly trickled down, the little little mouse pulled the water off of its cheeks and got itself a little drink of water. So it shows some of the evolution of the, the creatures in the desert besides just the gigantic sandworms. Um, okay. So it it very convoluted. Now this movie has an incredible amount of lore that is dedicated to it. So if you are someone that likes lore, heavy franchises or lore, heavy stories, now I'm talking to you, the people who enjoy game of Thrones and, uh, star Wars and myself, one, one piece, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, any of that stuff that has a very huge and expansive lore. If you are in the market for another lore heavy universe, this is going to be one to get into. Now, this has been released in a hybrid way on streaming and in the theaters. If it does well enough to warrant a sequel A sequel, you know, will surely be three or four years off. It doesn't, you can't create one of these epics overnight. But by the time we get four years into the future, hopefully we will be back to a much more uh, steady sense of normalcy, at least when it comes with this ongoing pandemic and the coronavirus. So at that point, you're going to get everyone hooked on this movie, on the beautiful visuals. And I will tell you, The art direction in this movie is so amazing. The, the sandscapes are incredible. And someone pointed it out in a video. I think it was Chris Stuckman Stuckman on YouTube. He was talking about it shows you the absolute massive scale of the ships that are flown, of the gigantic sandworms, of the gigantic cities, because every single one of those is paired with a point of reference that we as humans can automatically identify at and go, that's a, that's a tree next to that ship. Well, I know how big a tree is. So the ship is absolutely, absolutely gigantic. So there's kind of a subplot. I mean, not a subplot. It's part of the, it's. A major part of the plot, the son of the, what is he? He must be the, the, the Duke, Duke uh, Atreides, Leto Atreides, played by Oscar Isaac. The son, Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, is, he is gifted with, it's not the force, but it's called the voice. He is one of He's being taught the Bene Gesserit ways by his mother, Jessica. And the lady, Jessica, is a Bene Gesserit. And so what the voice does, (laughs) I know this is all over the place, but my notes were. And honestly, when I did this yesterday, it was equally as sporadic and, and crazy. And so I don't I don't I feel like maybe this is the this is the best that I can give you for Dune with uh, all of, all of the, all of the things that go into Dune. So anyway, the Bene Gesserit are this large kind of shadowy organization of essentially witches, I guess it's a group of women that can control other people by using their voice. And so typically there's not any men in this group. And the men that are born to this group that are trying to teach the ways of the Bene Gesserit are killed or they die off they don't last they they do not have the capacity to control the voice but paul does and so jessica's been teaching him the ways well a Beni jesserit mother when the empire lands their ship to go tell paul not paul atreides leto atreides that the atreides house is now going to be in charge of arrakis when they land to tell him, tell him that this elder Beni jesserit woman Goes to Paul and says, okay, Paul, we are, uh, you're going to stick your hand in this box. And he's like, I'm not going to do what, what do you, what do you mean? I'm going to stick my hand in the box. She said, well, your your mother told you what you needed to do and, uh, you, or you needed to listen to me. So he sticks his hand in the box and she puts a poison needle to his, his neck. And I wanted to make sure I talked about this because this is called the Gom jabbar, her needle. And she says, it's got a little bit of poison on the end. And before anyone can come rescue you, I can stick it in your neck if you take that hand out of that box. So what the box does, it gives him this burning, tingling, painful, devastating sensation in his hand. And she says, look, this is to test to see if you are an animal or not. And he's like, how dare you call me an animal? And she's like, if you pull your hand from the box, as would an animal instinctively to escape a trap, I will pierce your neck with the Gamjabar. But if you as a human recognize that you will be killed if you pull your hand from the box and are pierced with this gom Jabbar, so you do not pull your hand from the box despite the devastating pain that you are now uh, being inflicted on you. I will not kill you, and I will determine you are a human. So he he persists. He even goes so far as to tolerate the pain and then look her in the eye with a, a look of conviction, and he pulls his hand from the box, expecting it to be all torn to shreds, but it turns out uh, he's just he's just fine. So the Bene Gesserit woman, uh, the, the elder Bene Gesserit, goes to talk to Jessica on her way back to the ship, and she's like, look, what was supposed to happen And I I can't remember if I was, if I'm getting this from the movie or if I'm getting it from some of the stuff that I've read afterwards. But what was supposed to happen, according to the Bene Gesserit, the secret shadowy organization that controls the politics behind the scenes for the empire, the House Harkonnen and House Atreides were supposed supposed to, um, Harkonnen was supposed to have a son as a prince and house Atreides was supposed to have a daughter. And then the two houses were to be wed and their child was supposed to be born as a man uh, that they call the Quisach Haderach. And the Quisach Haderach is a person that through a holy war would unite all of the houses together under an empire for the Bene Gesserit at least if I'm understanding it correctly. So Paul's got visions. Uh, He dreams of this girl, Shawnee, on Arrakis. He dreams of his good friend, Duncan Idaho, played by Jason Momoa, dying on Arrakis. Um, So much so that he's like, hey, take me to Arrakis on a scouting mission. He's like, no, you'll go with the rest of the nobles. Um, Let's see, what else is, is super cool? Now, this whole movie, I don't know if you're familiar with Studio Ghibli films and Nausicaa of the valley of the wind, but it's really giving me that studio uh, Ghibli and Nausicaa vibe through the whole, through the whole movie. So let's see. Um, I'm going to go through my notes here. I'm not going to read my notes. I'm not going to be prompted off of all of my notes because some of them are absolute garbage. The Kwisak Halarak is also called Lisan Al-Gaib on Arrakis. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of lore in this. Like I said, So the Harkonnen, they leave the planet of Arrakis, but before they do, they attempt to sabotage the Atreides and their mining operation of the planet. They break refineries, they take equipment that they could have used. They even tried to assassinate Paul while he was in his room. There's this dude they had cemented into the wall six weeks prior who has a little bug creature that he zips out of the wall called a hunter seeker. And Paul, he stood so still in a hologram of a lesson that he was learning about Arrakis, people, culture, flora, fauna, and so on, that the, the hunter-seeker didn't notice him there. But someone else came into the room, and it went to attack him, and Paul grabbed it out of the air and smashed it with his hands. And Gurney Halleck, played by Josh Brolin, even commended him on his rescue of the uh, servant person that was coming into his room to, to help him out. So... You know, they, they, they start mining operations for a little bit. They go out and they see one of these sandworms. Uh, and the, the scale of this thing is huge. They've got this thing on tracks called a crawler that harvests the spice. And it's making these rhythmic uh, sounds, obviously. So they know that worm attacks are coming. And what they do when a worm attack comes is they see the worm coming off from a little drone that's up in the sky. And then another piece of equipment comes in. A helicopter a helicarrier sort thing and it flies over the crawler attaches to it and lifts it up off the ground to you know keep it from getting swallowed by the sandworm well this particular one it uh, malfunctions and so the atreides father and son they come in they fly in on these little ships called thopters (laughs) they look like little dragonfly ships and they go and they land and they uh they rescue the crew which the Harkonnens wouldn't have done because standard operating procedure, according to this crew, was that, hey, we've got to stay with the spice, uh, even if it means, you know, getting swallowed by swallowed by this sandworm. Uh, the, the Fremen come in t- because the Harkonnens were real assholes to them. There was a, actually the whole movie started with like a fight scene between these Harkonnens spice harvesters and the, the Fremen peoples. And so this Fremen guy goes to Leto Atreides to make a deal. And he's like, hey, let's make a deal. And he's like, just stay. You know, you can have all the spice you want. Just stay off of our lands. And Leto Atreides is like, hey, you know, I appreciate that. I'm not going to harass your people, but we're going to go where we need to go to get this spice. Oh, when he when he greets him, uh, Stilgar, I believe is his name, played by Javier Bardem. He spits onto the table and all of the guards get really upset. And they're like, how dare you do that? And Jason Momoa's character, Duncan, who's been there, he like stops him, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he says, we very graciously accept this gift of your body's hydration. And he too spits on the table. (laughs) And so they all spit uh, because that's, you know, water's hard to to come by. Uh, Let's see, what else is cool in the show, in the movie? There's like these body shields that they activate, that stop they seemingly stop projectiles so you won't see a lot of guns in the movie everyone's fighting with melee weapons except for the hunter seekers with their little bugs one of which takes out leto atreides at at one point later on in the show in the show in the movie why do you keep calling it a show what are you (laughs) what are you from the 1920s this is ridiculous um okay So, yeah, so the Harkonnens, they sabotage everything before they leave. Not only do they sabotage everything before they leave, they go back. They have a bunch of human sacrifices on their planet. Their planet's not Caladan. Caladan is the Atreides planet. They have all these human sacrifices that they bleed out and then paint their faces with war paint. And then they go attack the Atreides family on on planet Arrakis. And they, they jump out of the sky, the the doctor, Dr. Yoon, what does he do? He puts a hunter-seeker into the back of Leto Atreides and betrays them. He was one of the doctors for the Atredo, Atreides family. He even checked out Paul in an earlier scene. Uh, but he's like, hey, look, Harkonnens, they took my family. They said, the only way that I can get them back is if I betray you. And he's like, but I... Don't want him to get the last laugh. I'm going to give you to them. But here, put in this fake tooth that's filled with poison and you can still get one over on him. And so, yeah, Oscar Isaac was amazing in this scene. He's he's sitting here in the arms of this doctor and his eyes are just wide with shock, disbelief, betrayal, and also like a, a really quizzical face on like, how could you be asking me to do this for you after you've just betrayed me and my family and are giving me over? To the Harkonnens. And it's funny when... It's not funny. It's terrifying. When he gives him over to the Harkonnens, there's a scene where they've stripped Leto down. He's naked in a chair at the end of this table. And on the other end is this big, gigantic, fat, barren, Vladimir Harkonnen who is, like, eating. <laughs> he's having a dinner party. But Leto is just... he's He's conscious, but he is subdued. And... The uh, Baron Harkonnen goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, "You said you'd, uh, release my wife." And he's like, "Yeah, I I said I would set your wife free from this life or something." And he kills the doctor as well. Of course, he's a bad guy. He's not gonna let him let him get away. Um, but yeah, the the Baron he flies over because he's got like this spine that lights up, and I don't know if he's di- he's uh, like a disabled person. And his, his legs don't work, but he's dragging his legs across. And he's flying around with this telekinetic spinal tap augmentation cyberkinetic thing. And he goes over to Leto Atreides. And Leto's like, blah, blah, blah. and he's like, what was that? And he gets closer to him. And he's, like, blah, blah, blah. and he's like, I can't hear you. And he gets real close to him. And then Leto busts the tooth. And he releases this gas cloud and seemingly kills Baron Harkness, Harkonnen, but... Harkness. What is Harkness? Is Harkness Shakespearean? Harkness, Harkness. It'll come to me. Maybe it's a Marvel thing. Harkonnen. Seemingly kills Baron Harkonnen and all of his uh, immediate council that are in this, this dining war as well. So this dining war, dining room, I just read another note about a holy war. And so Paul is having these visions about... This holy war that in his name that he becomes a Fremen and he he befriends Chani. The thing about his visions, I don't know if you if you've watched this movie and you're listening here at a pure nostalgia and reminiscence. If you've watched this movie, his visions, I don't know if they're always correct because he was having visions of uh, communicating with this guy, Jamis, who we meet later on. And Jamis is teaching him things and he's been learning the way of his people and all of this, this, that, and the other. And at the same time, later on in the movie, him and Jamis fight uh, over his mother, Jessica, joining the Fremen tribe after the attack from the Harkonnens. And Jamas doesn't, he doesn't want Jessica there because she's too old to learn their ways or whatever. So they fight because uh, Paul is uh, fighting as as her champion and he kills Jammus right when he meets him. So there's no way that these visions that he has can be taking can be taking place. Uh, Leto Atreides, before he dies, realizes that the emperor set him up, that the emperor sent him to this planet to lord over it as a, a fiefdom and uh, set him up for failure because his house was getting too powerful. And his pal- house was also charismatic enough to join with the other houses in rebellion against the emperor. So the emperor got scared, made a deal with the Harkonnens, and the Harkonnens went back to, uh, to, to destroy the entire house of Atreides. What is interesting, though, the Bene Gesserit that work in the shadows, that elder woman had a deal herself with Baron Harkonnen that said, you can do what you want to Leto Atreides and the rest, but you cannot harm Jessica and Paul. And so the Baron says, you have my word, no harm will come to him. But we know that the Baron's word is worth nothing because Uh, he sends his troops down and as they're attacking, they capture Paul and they capture Jessica and they intend to fly them out into the desert and feed them to one of the giant sandworms. The reason they do that is because they say, well, we're not, we're not going to harm them. You know, technically it's going to be one of these sandworms, Jessica and Paul, when they're in this thopter with these bad guys, they bad guys. I mean, it's all, it's all relative, right? you're, you're a bad guy. Sure. You know, you've got a different, uh, view, a different, uh, opinion. Maybe that's all it is. It's all subjective to, to where you were born and what, what causes you'll fight for and die for. So they're on this thopter and Paul attempts to use the voice and he's like, you will remove her gag right now. And the guy goes and punches him in the face jessica meanwhile is using sign language to paul and saying you're using the wrong pitch the wrong tone and so he says it again he says you will remove my your her gag and uh dude's like okay and he removes her gag and she's like you kill him you kill him and they use the voice to escape their captors into the desert they are followed by another thopter at one point <laughs> i just love the name thopter i love that we have a mode of transport that is named a Thopter that looks like a dragonfly. But they're being chased by other Thopters. The other Thopters shoot missiles at them. They escape into a sandstorm and they kind of, you know, let, let Jesus take the wheel sort of thing. They crash land and they're in this tent. And the tent is made of similar material that the suits that they have are made of. And the suits are so cool because... The suits that they put on are ones that the Fremen use and that they've designed that absorb... Uh, absorb. <laughs> well, it's it's quite interesting, like how they absorb the water from your skin and the sweat that you do and the maybe urinations that you have. And if you listen to a couple of the fellas I listen to, uh, they uh, absorb the poo as well, the moisture out of it. And they waste no less than a thimble full of water every day. So they're like hydration suits. It's even really cool when they finally meet the Fremen in the desert. The the Fremen before they get on their way, they crack open their suit, they cut their skin to bleed a little bit. They put the suit back on and seemingly the suit will absorb the moisture from their blood to allow them to continue on through the desert. Uh the Fremen also I need to say that the Harkonnen, like I said, were real bastards to them during their tenure on the planet. And the Harkonnen had, uh, they thought that they the Fremen only accounted for about uh, 50,000 in number. And Duncan Idaho, he'd been running around and he, uh, he determined that there were, you know, hundreds of thousands in each siege which is where the Fremen live and there were thousands of sieges and so they they correctly identified that the Fremen numbered in the millions and so they thought okay well we're going to make a treaty with these Fremen people and they are going to help us you know mine this territory they're going to help us defend this ter- territory and they're also going to make House of Atreides more powerful. And this was Leto's idea, uh, and and Lido, back when they were on Caladan, was talking to Paul, and he was like, "Look, we have we have air power and we have sea power here on Caladan. If we go to Arrakis and we successfully tame this wild planet and and are uh, successful in in mining and harvesting the melange, we will also have desert power, and so that comes into play kind of at the end of the end of the movie." Um, but it was it was kind of this time when they escaped the storm, before they ran into the Fremen, before they, they did the desert walk to escape the sandworms and had a very close call with a sandworm that I, I realized that it was only part one of two movies. So again, I am very, very hopeful that part two comes out, that it makes part one does well enough, that it makes enough money that part 2 is is released because this is such a masterpiece when it comes to the score it's Hans Zimmer who scored the thing um, like I said Dennis Villeneuve he he's just got an incredible scope when it comes to this movie just feels epic it feels done it feels magical in a way that I have not seen special effects feel <laughs> that I've not seen special effects done, at least in modern memory. And I know I love the Avengers movies, but if you look at some of those special effects in comparison to some of these special effects, I mean, there's no comparison. There's no comparison at all. So Paul's got these visions. Uh, he fights for Jessica's honor to to stay with the Fremen. Um, earlier on, the the Fremen that they were staying with before were... Uh, ambushed by the Sakudar who are like the elite footmen uh, or elite foot soldiers of the Emperor and uh, Duncan died but apparently in in listening to people talk about this movie there's like cloning that goes on so Duncan may come back but he may not re- remember everything that happened on Arrakis he may just remember up to the point that he got cloned or something like that. So we may see Jason Momoa yet again. Zendaya's is in this movie. But she mostly exists in this movie. As a vision. As a dream of Paul's. He does finally meet her at the end. But she does not have very much uh, screen time. Let's see. So they're with the Fremen. Uh, Paul kills Jamis Because Jamis was like. We need to kill the woman. Because she can't learn our way. She's too old. And Paul is like, no, I'll be your champion. And they fight, and Paul gets the upper hand, and he has the blade to the dude's neck like two or three times. And he's like, yield. And Stilgar, the leader of the Fremen here, is, says, "We do not yield in Fremen culture. It's to the death." And Jessica's like, You he's never taken anyone's life before." And Paul, he does it. He he takes the dude's life. Um. He has a vision to, I guess I already said that, where he is a Fremen with blue eyes because that's a distinctive characteristic of the Fremen. And there's like an ephemeral voice that is is over it all that says he he must die for the to, to to rise. And Jessica's trying to get him to go back to the city after this fight. And he says, no, my road leads into the desert. And he looks off into the desert as they're marching through on this ridge line on this on this outcropping of rocks, and he sees a fremen person who is secured to the back of a sandworm, and they are riding the sandworm across the desert. Uh, and he he looks at him and he smiles and he goes, "Desert power," you know, just like his father said that they would find on Arrakis. And they walk off into what we assume is part two. Now. That's I think most of the story. I'm sure I missed a, a couple of a couple of small parts. Probably I don't know if Gurney Halleck is dead, but he may be. He was a cool character. There was a like a, a liaison to the Atreides family, someone that was supposed to oversee the transition between Harkonnen and Atreides on the planet, and um, she died. She put one of these, they have these devices called thumpers. She put it in the sand, makes a rhythmic noise. And then she got out these two looked like climbing hooks. And so I assume she was summoning a sandworm to ride, but just then she was ambushed by one of the Saku Adar and uh, she, when the sandworm got there, it ate them both essentially. Uh, So she was in there for a minute. Let me see, anyone I missed, Rebecca Ferguson plays Lady Jessica. Um, Dave Bautista's in this one. He is the nephew of Vladimir Harkonnen, uh, Glosu Raban. And like I said, uh, Javier Bardem is Stilgar, kind of the leader. So we're going to see more of uh, Stilgar in the second part. We're going to see more of Shani um, Zendaya's character in the second part. But so good, so epic in, in scale. I hope, I hope, 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 hope it gets a, a part two uh, and doesn't end up like the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't even know if the Chronicles of Narnia was finished. I don't know if it was ever even completed before they stopped making them. Maybe it was. I didn't follow that one uh, too too terribly closely. Some people said that this was very slow and it was. This was not a movie that you could watch and be distracted with anything else. Uh, you, you had to pay attention and a lot of it, like the volume was very variable. So you would be listening to it and then they'd start whispering and talking about something. I like to watch most of my movies, most of my shows with subtitles on just for those very parts. And this may be one like that for you as well. I, otherwise I think it's a masterpiece. I find no fault anywhere in this movie. The writing was incredible. Uh, and like i said i only read part of the audiobook or I only listened to part of the audiobook uh but the parts that i did listen to in the movie they they correctly they got the tone correct for the movie for those those parts specifically um so the the characters uh, amazing the actors it was so well acted and i think so well casted too especially for Timothy Chalamet uh his character as Paul Atreides was amazing. Oscar Isaac did so incredibly as as well uh Stilgar. I haven't seen much out of him out of Javier Bardem, but he was amazing as as well. So super good casting. The effects as well on um Baron Vladimir Harkonnen were also amazing. He was so menacing as a character and A lot of people are saying as well that this source material, Frank Herbert's Dune, is notoriously difficult to adapt. I guess there was a television series. We had the two movies in the past and none of them really captured the feeling of this book, especially with the expansive lore that it has. I mean, this is a genre defining story. And so it's so awesome to see it be brought onto the, onto the big screen in a way like this. And like I said, I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to go to the theater to see this. And I have never done that before in my life, but this, I think deserves for the soundscape for the, the visual artistic expression of this movie, I think deserves a theater viewing. I mean, I mean, it has to, and there is, Uh, A lot of different allegories in this, uh, whether it's to the Crusades or the war in the Middle East, um, whether that's Denis Villeneuve's take on it or the intention by the original author, Frank Herbert. I I do not know. But man, Mr. Villeneuve, it's a masterpiece. It's so it's so good and it's doing pretty well so far. Um, I recorded this before the second weekend that it's been out. But on the first weekend, it had a $40 million uh, domestic box office opening. Apparently, it's doing pretty well on HBO Max as well. And then it had a $221 million global box office so far. I believe the production was like 165, million, maybe 200000000 million. I'm not sure. But uh, man, man, great great movie. I could not recommend it more. There is a lot of exposition It's got a lot of deep lore, so it may be kind of slow at, at parts, but I enjoyed the storytelling. I enjoyed the world building and I can't wait to see the beautiful house that is built on the foundation of this incredible movie. I think that can, that probably wraps up a a gushing maybe incomplete critique of the movie it's not a critique it's um it's an undulating praise of dune by dennis villeneuve the 2021 uh version that's that's going to be it for on today's episode i hope you enjoyed the show if you did you can leave us a like leave us a subscribe Leave us a follow, leave us a review, leave us a comment. You can do that on any one of the podcasting platforms that we're on. And we're on everything Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. You name it, we've got it. Uh, You can leave us a comment at Culture on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'm okay at checking those. Uh, You can also send us an email at culture.collective.x2 at gmail.com. If you want to, uh, let us know what you'd like to see on today's episode next if you'd like us to review i don't know maybe the mask movie with jim carrey or you want us to go back and check out one of the matrix movies um we try we try i say we try but this is this i call this a semi-regular show For a reason Hawkeye is going to be coming out Anthony is going to be doing the review episodes for Hawkeye so look forward to that we've got other on today's episode episodes for you if you'd like I mean Black Widow WandaVision Falcon and the Winter Soldier Loki we did one with He-Man and Invincible a couple other movies like this is a semi-regular part of the Culture Jack podcast but it is a good part of the Culture Jack podcast that's all I have for you today Thank you for checking us out, and we will see you in the next episode.